This morning we are continuing on in our series on the story of Jonah. We're in part three of that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, you can. We're going to be in chapter three. If you want to use a pew Bible, you can. It's also page 775 if you want to use one of the Bibles in the pew ahead of you there. We are in the book of Jonah. We're walking through the story of Jonah in these four parts. And today, as I mentioned, is part three of our story in chapter three. And, and I'm not going to review everything. If you want to, to, to catch up with us and you haven't been here, you can, you can catch both messages, parts one and part two, online on our website, richlandchurch.org. But I do need to highlight a couple of things so that we're all on the same page this morning as we get started. The first thing that I need to say that I've said each week that we've met in this is that the story of Jonah is a pretty well-known story. It's a story that we've heard all, all through our lives. Even if you are not very aware of any biblical stories at all, you probably have at least a vague idea of the story of Jonah. It's pretty common. And in fact, we, we know it so well that we begin to think of it a little bit as a fairy tale. Like maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, maybe it was an exaggeration, maybe it was a parable that got told. And, and I said this on the first week, you can go back and listen to it, I expounded a little bit more. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus ties his resurrection to the story of Jonah. And when he does it, he doesn't say kind of like the made-up story that you hear about in the Old Testament. He says, he says, my resurrection, I will be just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. I will be in the ground for three days and rise again. Jesus ties his resurrection to the story of Jonah. So we have to understand that as we look at the story of Jonah, we have to see it's 100% true. It's absolutely accurate. It's not a fairy tale. This is a story that really happened. The hope of the book of Jonah, we've talked about each week, is actually found at the end of Jonah. It's in chapter 4. But the hope of the book of Jonah that comes up over and over and over and over is that God shows kindness to his enemies. And he says it this way, Jonah talks about it in chapter 4, verse 2, when he says, you are a gracious God, you are merciful, you are slow to anger, and you are abounding in steadfast love. The hope of this book is that God shows kindness to his enemies. And that's good news for you and I, because that's where we fall, is in the enemy of God category. And God shows hope to us in his steadfast love. That's the hope of the book of Jonah. So far, we've walked through two different acts here in Jonah. Chapter 1 told us the story about how, how everyone trusted in their own efforts. Everyone trusted in their own plan, in their own devices, in their own strength. Everybody had their own plan. And it all began to fall apart, and there was no hope in their own plan. It was only... It was only for the sailors, at least. It was only when they trusted in the sacrifice of one man, the death of one man, were they able to be rescued and were they able to be saved. They couldn't trust anything they could do on their own, but they trusted that when Jonah got thrown over, they would be saved, and they were instantly in that moment. Act 2, which we talked about last week in chapter 2, was the story of how Jonah, after being thrown overboard, hit rock bottom, we talked about, in the end of that downward spiral. He literally went to rock bottom. And it's then that God sends a rescue for Jonah. God makes a way. Jonah looks to the Lord, and he looks to the Lord 
through his word we talked about last week. In fact, uh, uh, as Pastor Ron shared that quote this morning, I was reminded that uh, I've heard it a little differently, but the quote that, that uh, and I've just totally lost it, promises, promises that are trusted are promises that are rehearsed is the way that I've heard it. Promises are, that are trusted are promises rehearsed. And Jonah, when he's in the belly of the large fish, trusts in the promises that he's rehearsed. So if you remember from last week, we talked about all those different scriptures that line up with what Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. Jonah looked to the word and finally, eventually, comes with thanksgiving. So, our narrative so far. Where are we in the story? Jonah has run as far away as possible. Jonah has gotten on a boat. He has been hurled into the sea. Jonah has been swallowed by a large fish. Jonah has prayed and come to a moment of thanksgiving. At the end of chapter 2, Jonah then is spit out onto dry land. And through all of that story, what we have seen is that God is sovereign in every part of what's happening. This story is about God more than it's about Jonah. And at the end of chapter 2, at the end of Jonah's prayer there, chapter 2, verse 9, we talked last week about the hinge pin of this story. The middle of the story, the hinge pin verse for the whole book is this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all about him. And so as we've ended each story, as we've ended each act that we've walked through, we come to this. What will Jonah do now? Let's read about it here in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes as he issued a proclamation And published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. We don't want to romanticize the story of Jonah. I've said that each week as we've walked through this too. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves thinking that, that we know the story and Jonah probably knew it as well. We don't want to we don't want to get this picture in our head that when when Jonah was thrown over the side of the boat, he knew he was going to be rescued. He didn't. In fact, he thought he would be killed. When Jonah was 
gobbled up by the fish at the bottom of the sea when, he was, when his life was just about gone, as he shared last week, as we talked about. When he was swallowed by the fish, he did not know that the fish was going to spit him back out onto dry land. In fact, when he comes to that moment of thanksgiving at the end of chapter 2, he thinks at that moment he's, he's, he's giving thanks to God, he's making vows to God, he's talking about sacrificing to God, but he thinks he's going to die there. And at the end of chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he's spit out. When he's spit out and he lands on dry land, again, we don't want to romanticize the story. Jonah doesn't see the end like we do. We know Jonah's going to march into Nineveh. Everyone's going to repent immediately. But Jonah doesn't know all of that. Jonah is spit out on dry land and doesn't even know for sure that that call from God that he got when he ran is still applicable. As he lands on dry land, that call has not even yet come to him right there. While we see the story ending, Jonah does not have that view. Speaking of romanticizing the story, let me take one little digression. I think, I have the map there, I think, Joel. Can you put the map on the screen again? You guys have seen this from the very beginning. Jonah was at point A there. God told him to go to Nineveh, which is point B. And instead, he bought a ticket to go to Tarshish, which was as far away as possible, probably a multiple, for sure a multiple month, maybe even a multiple year trip to get all the way to Tarshish, as far away as possible. What I want you to see here, though, is that when the fish spit him out onto dry land, Nineveh is not a beach city. Nineveh is way inland. And so when the fish spits him out and Jonah lands on dry land, and we read that at the end of chapter 2, he didn't land on the outskirts of Nineveh. He landed probably 500 miles away if he landed just on the edge of the sea. He had a long journey ahead of him. Jonah comes out of this moment, and, and, and you, you can only imagine, he's, he's, he's made his peace with God. He's had this prayer of thanksgiving. And he gets spit out, and he can't believe that he's, that he's still alive. He can't believe that he's rescued. And he's had this moment where he's never been closer to God than he was in that time. Stuck in the fish, praying this prayer. And he lands... Not on the outskirts of Nineveh, but 500 miles away. And when he looks up, when he looks up, he knows he has this long, long road and this long, dusty journey to get to a people who he's still not completely sure that he likes when this call that God places back on him a second time shows up. And I say that today because I know several of you that are in here, children especially, you just got back from a mountaintop experience. You just got back from camp. I know several of you were at camp this last week. And, and all of us that have had those kinds of experience, we know you can remember what it feels like when you, when you come out of that moment and you have that experience with God and you've never felt closer to God than you do right now. And you land on dry ground 
and you know what's happened and you know how you feel and you know what God is doing in your life, but not everybody else does. And all of a sudden you see this long, long road with a long, long journey. And the message and the feelings that you had from camp, the message and the feelings that you had from from the retreat that you were just at or from the mission trip or the book that you just read or the quarantine that you just experienced with your family, you know that all of those moments have given you a a, a soul-strengthening resolve. But now, when the rubber hits the road, things begin to fade and things begin to look a little bit different. We begin to look inward instead of remembering what God has done for us. These post-mountaintop experiences, these post-belly-of-the-whale experiences are where we really begin to see the truth of the work that God is doing in our lives. And we need to let that difference, let that work be seen. Kids, I want to speak exactly to you, especially if you went to camp this last week. I had a moment when I was 16. I went to a retreat. I, I, I was raised in a Christian family. I'd, I'd gone to church, and, and I believed God was at work in my life. But there was a moment when, when I was 16 where I really, I think for the first time, truly understand that I was a sinner and needed to have my sin forgiven. And I came home from that retreat, and I was telling my family about it, and I told my mom and dad about it, and I had that mountaintop experience, the one that maybe you just had at camp. And the next day, I had to go away to a basketball camp with my school friends, not my church friends. I went to, to church in a different town. And it was a whole different group. And I remember when I got to camp that night, basketball camp, I opened up my bag and there was a note inside there from my mom. And she wrote this note. She said, God has made a difference in you and changed you. And this is your opportunity to let everyone see what God is doing in your life. And it made a huge difference for me. I realized that that was exactly right. God had made a difference in me. God had rescued me and saved me. And now was the time to dive all in on it. And so, kids, if that's happened, if you come home from this mountaintop experience at camp and God is at work in your life, lean into it. Lean into it. Let God's work in you be seen. The experience might fade, but the foundation of what God has started in you through his promise, through his word, and through the work in your life, let that be what guides you. Jonah needed to hear that as well, I think, when he landed on the seashore with a long trip all the way to Nineveh. Because what chapter 3 tells us is, tells us really two parts to the story. The first is that Jonah has a half-hearted attempt to do what God's called him to do. And the Ninevites have a full-hearted response to what God wants to do in their lives. The word comes to Jonah a second time. He says, go, God says, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against the message that I, call out against it, the message that I tell you. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh is big, it says. We don't know how big, it says it's three days breadth 
wide. We don't know if that includes the suburbs. I'm not going to get into all the archaeology of it. What I know from this story is that it's big. Three days wide. And Jonah goes in and one day in, one third of the way in, barely into the city, Jonah shares what in his language would have been five words. Jonah says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, if you remember the first message, this could be hyperbole. Everything in the book of Jonah is 100% true. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not true. But there are ways that you can tell a story highlighting part of them and not highlighting other parts that tell the story a little differently. It could be that Jonah spoke more than those five words. It's eight words if you're counting them in your Bible in English. But in Jonah's language, it would have been five words. He could have spoken more than five words. In fact, it seems to me that that would be the most likely. Because Jonah had a tailor-made, Jonah had a God-fashioned testimony that nobody else would have had. Jonah could have said, I ran from God. I went as far away as possible. I was thrown overboard. I thought I was going to die. In fact, I went all the way to the bottom of the sea and it was there when the weeds were wrapped around my head and I thought that I was going to faint and die that a fish gobbled me up and gave me just enough of a pocket of air that I could breathe. For three days and three nights, I was in the belly of the whale when he spit me out, when I was rescued by God and I was saved and spit back out and now here I am in Nineveh. That's the story that Jonah had to tell. A story that said, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. He's given me a second chance. He's given me another opportunity. He's called me again to tell you that we have a God who rescues. That's the story that Jonah could have told. And I hope that he did tell that story. I hope that's what's missing from our narrative here in Jonah chapter 3. Because you and I, we don't have a story about a fish and a belly and a being thrown overboard. None of us have that story. But you and I have a story as well. You have a story about going to camp when you're 16 and God opening your eyes to your sin and getting a note in your suitcase that helps you to live the change that's already been worked in you. You and I have a story just like that. And that's the story that we can share. That's the message that we have to share with those around us. I love the story in, the, in John chapter 9. There's a story of a man who's blind and Jesus comes into contact with him and, and Jesus spits on the ground and takes that dirt and rubs mud into the blind man's eyes, and and he's able to see. Scales fall off of his eyes, and he can see for the very first time in his whole life. And and some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to him, and they they want to question the blind man, and they want to ask him all these questions about Jesus, and what did he do, and how did he do it, and what did he say when he did it. And the blind man in John chapter 9 says this. He says, I don't know. I don't know all the answers to your questions. I don't know all the details and the process of what happened. So I don't know the answers to your questions. But I know this. I was blind. And now I see. That's the end. 
That's the end. I came into an encounter with Jesus and I was blind and now I see. I came into an encounter with Jesus and I was lost. And now I'm found. I was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. That's the story that you and I have to tell. If you know Jesus, you have a Jonah story. Sounds different. It looks different, but the story is the same. You don't have to have all the details down. I was lost. Now I'm found. Jonah's story coupled with the power of God was more than enough. God's word tells us in Hebrews chapter four that the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked, all are exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Your message, the power and word of God, those two things coupled together is more than enough. It's more than enough. Don't be afraid to share your story. There was a very specific message that God gave to Jonah. In fact, he says, he says, go, go to the Ninevites again and tell them what I tell you to say. And his message, and maybe it really only was these five words, I don't know. But maybe it really only was. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That message, in that specific time, was exactly what Nineveh needed to hear. They needed to hear that there was a God, a perfect God, who had wrath, that was stored up and ready to be poured out on them because of their sin. The word overthrown in our message, in our passage, in our English language, would have been the same word that would have been used for Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. The destruction that came on them because of their sin, that was the destruction that was being promised to the people of Nineveh. God was going to pour out his wrath. And the message that Jonah shared with the Ninevites, the message that I share with you, that the gospel shares with us all, is that God pours out his wrath on sinners like the Ninevites like the Sodom and Gomorrah people. He pours out his wrath on sinners. We cannot escape it. We cannot wiggle out of it. Our wrath, the the wrath of God must, must be put on our sin. The wages of our sin, what we earn, what you and I deserve is wrath, is death. But, Paul tells us, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the message that Jonah brings to the Ninevites. Now, we don't see it all here. 
He says that there's going to be wrath poured out on you. You're going to be destroyed. Your sin has, has made it so that God cannot tolerate it any longer. You cannot run from it. You cannot hide from it. God is going to pour out his wrath on you. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our hope is not, we already read at the end of chapter 3, you know the end of the story. God relents on pouring out his wrath against the Ninevites. Our hope, yours and my hope, is not that God relents on pouring out his wrath. Your and my hope is that he pours out his wrath, all of his wrath, as Pastor Ron shared as he's walked us through the book of Romans, that every ounce, every iota of God's wrath gets poured out, but it gets poured out on Jesus, the one who takes all of our sin on him. He takes all of the punishment for our sin on him. The wrath of God comes, and it comes out in full force, but Jesus takes it all. Jesus absorbs it all for those who have trusted in him. Our hope is that the wrath, all the wrath of God, is spent on Jesus. Now Jonah's message, at least what we see in chapter 3, doesn't include all of that. Jonah's still a reluctant prophet. Seems as though he barely gets into the city. He gives a five-word message. He doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about a rescue, at least not what we read. And yet, verse 5, Jonah comes in, walks a day in, says, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wrath of God will be poured out on you guys. And then in verse 5, the very next verse says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And their belief, their belief leads them into repentance. And their belief and repentance leads them into forgiveness. The people believed God. And that belief so overwhelms who they are. It so overwhelms what they are that they immediately, immediately begin to repent. They immediately begin to put on sackcloth and and sit in ashes. The king, in fact, tears off his kingly robes and humbles himself and says, I have to be right with God. And I want everyone in my kingdom to be right with God. And so everyone is not going to eat. In fact, even the animals, I want to be a part of this process. Everything needs to look to God. Everything needs to obey God. The people believe, the king believes, the animals get included in the process of being saved. Faith leads to repentance for the Ninevites. And the same should be true for us. Faith leads to repentance. When we truly see the greatness of our God, when we truly see the horribleness of our sin, our only response is to repent 
and to ask for forgiveness. The people of Nineveh did. They believed God. And in verse 10 it says, when God saw what they had done, how they had turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That's the hope of chapter 3. God relents. God relents. Remember the hinge pin. Back in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. All of it, from beginning to end, belongs to God. He's the one. He's sovereign over every part. God is the one who brings salvation God saw what they did. Did they need to repent? Yes, absolutely. When we are aware of our sin and when we come to faith, repentance is the next thing. It's the next step. They absolutely had to do that. God saw what they did and he relented the disaster and he did not do it. Don't lose those lessons from those previous chapters that God saves, that God rescues, that God's the one that relents. God does not bring the disaster that was foretold. God, salvation belongs to the Lord. It all comes through God. So our question this morning as we, as we close, as we wind down, is what will Jonah do now? He's been thrown overboard. He's been gobbled up by a fish. He's been spit out on land. He's, now he's come to Nineveh. They've heard his message and they've responded And God has relented, and what will they do now? And the question for us as we close is, what will we do now? Jonah, the sailors, the Ninevites, the king, and all of the animals, they aren't the only ones who have been given a second chance. They are not the only ones. They are not the only ones who have been given a second chance. You and I have as well. God's word tells us in Romans chapter 10 that everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved, rescued. Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will have their wrath of God. He will relent from pouring that out on you and instead will pour it out on Christ. That's the way he says it in Romans chapter 5 that we saw earlier. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. You're given the same opportunity that the Ninevites were today. You have the same kind of story that Jonah had. You were dead and an object of wrath. I believed in Jesus and I was saved, rescued, God relented. Jesus takes our wrath. We get grace. That's our hope today as we look at the story of Jonah. The worship team is going to come and lead us here in just a moment. We want to remember the hinge pin, the middle of the book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He calls us. He sent his son to redeem us. He pours out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. And it's because of that that we have hope. What will Jonah do now? 
What will you do now? Trust. Trust in Jesus this morning. Please stand with me. We're going to sing together. Savior's sacrifice paid for all my sin. So in my suffering, I look to the cross again. No need, no want, no drown, no pain can compare to this. The wrath of God once meant for me was all spent on Before the cross I humbly bow I place my trust in the Savior Your finished work captures my gaze You bore the wrath I know the grace In my darkest hour Your presence is my peace In my days of joy Your grace carries me Jesus, my great high priest the one who pleads for me My heart is filled with faith in you Here at Calvary on my knees Before the cross I humbly bow I place my trust in the Savior your finished work captures my gaze. You bore the wrath, I know the grace. No need, no want. No trial, no pain can compare to this. The wrath of God once meant for me was all spent on Him. Before the cross I humbly bow. I place my trust in the Savior Your finished work captures my gaze You bore the wrath I know the grace You bore the wrath I know the grace God, I'm grateful this morning that we can know your grace, your rescue, your wrath is poured out on Jesus for 
us, for those who believe. And you've rescued us and saved us. So God, help us this morning to walk out of this room, walk out of this building confident, God, able to declare and to tell the story. We once were dead, but now we're alive. We once were lost, but now we're found. We have been saved. We've been rescued and redeemed. Let that truth build in us this week. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.